Welcome to Critical Condition, America at the Crossroads, with your host, David Tatman. Welcome to Critical Condition, America at a Crossroads, and I am your host, David Tatman. Welcome to our first full episode of the program. In our initial release, uh, we laid out the concept of the podcast and what we hope to accomplish. Because I know your time is valuable, we won't go over all of that again in great detail, but I will simply say that what we are going to do is to present issues important to our nation and our community without the noise and bias that you often get through the mainstream media. So our philosophy is no noise, no bias, no bull. We also outlined how we were going to determine which issues we'll be focusing on. Our approach is going to be to review public opinion research and polling data from across the country and across a wide variety of outlets and find the issues that are most being talked about in our country today. As has been the case for the past few months, the key issues continue to be crime, inflation, education, immigration, and government. There's a lot more out there, but these are the ones that most Americans care about, not necessarily in that order. So in our first few episodes, we're going to take a deep dive into crime. There are very few places in America right now that are not seeing an explosion in crime. So that's where we're going to start. And when we talk about crime, it can be a very complicated subject matter. When someone talks about crime, the discussion is generally broader than just the commission or the committing of a crime. We're going to work to break this discussion down into the different buckets. The first bucket will be law enforcement. We'll have a guest on our show to talk about that. The other buckets will be uh, the prosecution, uh, the adjudication, and the incarceration, all of the things that go in the criminal justice system. And there's more. These are the elements of the criminal justice system that I just mostly want to address. No matter how you slice it and dice it up, it is a complex and challenging subject matter. It is also one that elicits great emotion. For this to work, we want and need your input. We will have guests on the show that will bring different expertise to the conversation. We want to hear from you as we dig down deep into subject matters. We're asking for our listeners to follow us on social media and to join the conversation. We're currently on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle on all three of those platforms uh, are at criticalcon187. That's at criticalcon187. You can follow us and like us and join the conversation. Our email address, in the event you're not on social media, is criticalconditionshow at gmail.com. If you have a good take, I'll share it with our audience. If you have a great take, I may invite you to be on the show. Before I begin, I think it is important to share with you a little personal background as we discuss crime. I have never been arrested or accused of a crime. I once did 56 in a 55-mile-an-hour speed zone, and I have occasionally described the professional football game without the expressed written consent of the NFL, but I've never been in trouble with the law. 
I have been a victim of crime. I've also been a victim of police brutality. I also mentioned that I have siblings who are convicted felons, one of which served nearly two decades in the Louisiana prison system. So I've seen all sides of the criminal justice system, except for I've never been in trouble with the law myself. I give you that background so that I, you can understand my perspective and my experiences, and I hope that helps. So let's start the conversation with a broad brush and then work to dig down into the elements of the criminal justice system and each part of the process. We will bring guests on our upcoming shows to get different perspectives and real-life accounts and a very different view of the different people and experiences that may come through social media and through direct contact. So today I want to start the conversation by taking a look at some crime statistics. Crime rates have changed dramatically across the United States over the last few years. Most significantly, the murder rate, and that is the way it's calculated is the number of murders per 100,000 people. It rose sharply, nearly 30% rise from 2019 to 2020. Assaults increased as well, with the rate of offenses rising by more than 10%. According to the FBI Uniform Crime Reporting Program, murder rates were up nearly 30%. Aggravated assaults were up nearly 12%. Auto theft was up over 11%. Of course, in the same time period, other crimes were down. Robbery was down 9.6%. Property crimes were down 8.1%. And burglary was down 7.7%. One of the interesting things when you're looking at those statistics is you have to take into account the fact that if you are the victim of a crime, but there is no body or there is uh, no vehicle that you have to report on an insurance claim, are you really going to report that crime? It makes no difference why go through the trouble of a police report, and we're going to discuss that a little bit. Sometimes uh, people out there, particularly politicians, like to say, well, property crime's down, robberies are down, and burglaries are down. Well, the question is, are they down or is their reporting down? And so let's go back to the more significant ones where we know the reporting has to happen. I mean, murders are reported because there's a body. Murders rose in cities nationwide and in jurisdictions of all types. The number of murders jumped by more than 30% in the largest cities and 20% in the places designated by the FBI as suburban cities with fewer than 50,000 inhabitants that are within a metropolitan statistical area. Murders rose by a comparable level in rural areas too, an important fact that sometimes is ignored. So the point of this is that murders are happening all over the country and the, they are exploding in terms of the number of those murders. Before we dig down into the numbers, keep in mind that there is lag time in the statistical gathering of the crime data. In essence, we're always at least a year behind, and sometimes we're even further behind. But let's take a look at some different numbers. Let's look at it regionally. In the Northeast, murders were up 36.1%. In the Midwest, 36.2%. In the South, they were only up 26%, and in the West, 26.7%. Now, it is important to keep in mind that murder is bigger in the South. 
in the southern region, there were over 10,000 murders. In the Northeast, there were 2,500 murders, so four times as many in the South than the Northeast. And that's just uh, the way that the statistics run and the way that they're collected. These are all FBI uniform crime reporting statistics. Let's look hard at some of the bigger cities. So New York had a 47% increase in their murder rate. Los Angeles, 36.1. Chicago, with some of the toughest gun laws in America, 57% rise in murders. It's rough. Houston, 45%. Phoenix, 42%. These are all big increases in murders. And it's something that it should have our attention. So for the last decade, some prosecutors and and progressive politicians have been proposing and enacting a new model of criminal justice policies, often with little consideration for the real-world effect of these ideas. And now, finally, enough time has passed since those murder rate numbers that I just gave you uh, have been accumulated, the evidence-based assessment of how these policies have played out in the real world are not good. So let's go through some of the, the, uh, the model or some of the elements of the model that has been put forth as ways to reduce crime. Gun buybacks. There's a theory that in big cities, gun buyback programs will reduce violent crime that is spiking Uh, in America's urban centers. However, comprehensive research shows no evidence that such programs work. Philadelphia, upon the completion of a three-year gun buyback program that yielded over 1,000 firearms, it didn't bring one firearm in that was linked to any violent crime during the course of that program. In the same time period, where they were doing this buyback program in Philadelphia set all new all-time records for homicides. So gun buyback programs, just something to talk about. Violence interrupters. Another theory is based on the use of what's called violence interrupters. These are like former gang members and conflicts, convicts who uh, mediate disputes on the streets. And some people see it as a serious weapon against crime. But cities such as Baltimore, Indianapolis, and Philadelphia, they've staked a lot on this idea, and the results have not been encouraging. Multiple violence interrupters have been murdered in Baltimore. In Indianapolis, the former convict in charge of the training of the violence interrupters program was arrested for threatening a woman and had to be fired. And in Philadelphia, a violence interrupter shot three people in a bar while he was working his anti-violence job. The studies show that this is just not working, and the reality of it is it might actually be adding fuel to the fire uh, for violent crime. Another element of some ways that some of the the larger cities have addressed uh, crime is decarceration, right? Policy groups like Prison Policy Initiative and uh, you know, with the support of legal academics, have said mass incarceration in the United States for decades is a problem. And that the United States could free thousands of prisoners, even violent criminals, without affecting public safety. For their argument to make any sense, they'd have to push for the release of 
all criminals, including violent criminals. Because as even leading decarceration advocate John Faith concedes, the vast majority of criminals that are incarcerated are incarcerated for violent crimes. The decarceration advocates largely have seen their wishes granted. According to the Pew Research Center, by 2019, incarceration rates in America had fallen to the same levels as 1995. Then reduced even further during COVID-19 because jails couldn't take them, prisons couldn't process them. And you say to yourself, so how's that working out? We're decarcerated. Well, the United States saw its biggest single year rise in homicides in 2020. And the murder rates continue to rise through 2021 and into 2022. Homicides in many cities reach levels of unseen since the 1990s, when incarcerates were as low as they are now. The incarceration versus violent crime relationship is statistically complex, but the wholesale release of violent criminals sends as message as one more contributor to increase murders in American cities. And then, of course, we're dealing with deep prosecution. You take Jason Williams in New Orleans, uh, Alvin Bragg in Manhattan, George Gascon in Los Angeles, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia. These prosecutor playbook relies on a policy of deprosecution, the decision to not prosecute crimes, even when the facts and evidence are there to convict the defendants. Prosecutors' decisions uh, effectively to nullify criminal laws that are passed by state legislators, policymakers. It's been a disastrous on violent crime in big cities. A recent study using a synthetic control algorithm attributes an extra 74 homicides per year to the deprosecution policy in Philadelphia, where prosecution levels have dropped by a staggering 70% for both felonies and misdemeanors. The same methodology estimates that it could have prevented an additional 70 homicides per year in Baltimore and 169 fewer homicides per year in Chicago. Two other cities with de-prosecuting prosecutors. Electing prosecutors to not enforce the law is, is as crazy as it sounds. And then we won't even go into the defund the police thing very deeply because from the members of the squad to other people, Across the United States, the political movement to defund the police has been an absolute disaster. Seattle tested this theory out in 2020 when it declared a section of their city a police-free zone. After protests related to the the death of George Floyd, a sophisticated analysis by professors Eric Pisa and Nathan Connolly determined that the lack of police led to not only an increase in violent crime in the police-free zone, an unsurprising result, but also the spillover effect of crime in the surrounding areas of Seattle. On a broader level, highly respected researchers, Aaron Coughlin and Justin McCrary did a quantitative analysis demonstrating that if anything, American cities are under-policed and that adding more police would result in both net savings and reduced violent crime, especially murder. In raw statistical terms, adding 10 more police officers to a department prevents one homicide per year in that jurisdiction. A strong case can be made, in fact, that we, uh, it, it, can be, it can be guaranteed that we're under-policed. 
I mean, when you look at developed nations, the U.S. is on a per capita basis severely underpoliced. Fortunately for us, the defund the police movement appears to have run its course and as residents see dreadful results and politicians scramble to adjust. The biggest issue is who wants to be a police officer now, right? It, 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 they were so beaten up. And look, every time I see a police officer, I thank them for their service. Even my own personal experiences help me to recognize that these people are underpaid, overworked, and they don't generate the respect that they deserve on the street. But a curious but notable trend is developing in the study of crime. Law school professors have long been leading advocates for many of these progressive policies, but the legal academics have no experience, and they're not bound by actual data. They're actually acting instead as an elite class of professionals and philosophers. However, a cohort group of quantitative researchers is starting to look at the actual crime data and publish the results, which often reveal that these policies not only don't work, but are also actually harm the community, particularly those poorest residents. So keep that in mind, that the poorest residents are most affected because when someone is de-incarcerated or de-prosecuted, they go back home to their part of town. They go back to their community, and it is there that they commit another crime. And so what does work, right? Well, the answer to these questions have been demonstrated clearly and exhaustively to of how we do this. So re-empowering the police to protect law-abiding citizens, arresting violent offenders, prosecuting those violent offenders vigorously, and incapacitate them with stiff sentence, and elect prosecutors who will uphold and enforce the law and who will prioritize protecting law-abiding citizens, not violent criminals. What is the relationship between the criminal justice reform and the explosion in crime across America? What other factors are at play, like the impact of COVID-19, the impact of the economy, the uh, hostile nature of politics across our country? In our next episode, we will have former Baton Rouge Police Chief Greg Farries on. Uh, Greg will share with us his perspective on our current crime wave, particularly right here in Baton Rouge and in Louisiana, but we're going to get him to weigh in nationally. And what are the causes of the explosion in crime and what we might be able to do about it? So that's that's in our next episode. Tune in. Greg Farries, former uh, Baton Rouge police chief, longtime law, law enforcement official, great guy, uh, dedicated his life to law enforcement, continues to train officers, uh, and he is uh, going to be our first expert guest um, in our crime dive. But before I end the program, I have to share uh, a few stories. And I gave you a lot of statistics, but let me, let me bring it home for you. The, Recently, Reverend Otis Young, who had retired as the pastor of St. Peter's Catholic Church in Covington, and, and Ruth Pratt, a pastoral associate, they were murdered. They were, their burned bodies were found behind a local business. The coroner reported that both victims died of blunt force trauma 
before their bodies were burned. The suspect, Antonio Tyson, who had been recently released from prison after serving 30 years of a 40-year sentence for forcible rape. Of course, if you dig down into the story, he was actually accused of aggravated rape, but the, which would have been a life sentence. Instead, it was pled down to forcible rape. And, and there were other crimes, right? He, they, he, but that was the one that would have kept him behind bars for life. He's being held without bail uh, on two counts of first-degree murder. He also faces uh, counts of second-degree kidnapping, obstruction of justice, uh, and illegal possession of a stolen vehicle. So he's being held on bail. Uh, and as a side note, just as the story develops, and it's just an awful story. He did not know uh, the victims. Uh, it was a random, brutal crime. Um, there's significant video evidence of a Tyson out crouching outside of the residence of Pratt uh, with a knife in his hand. A video of him leaving the residence with the victims in the vehicle. And video of him purchasing gasoline, which he doused the victims with and burned their bodies. He was found in a stolen vehicle and is arrested. And I think you, I'm all for criminal justice. We've got to give him his day in court. But there is a great deal of evidence against this person. Both victims, both uh, Pratt and uh, uh, Reverend Young, were over 70 years old, and they were both beaten to death. What kind of sick animal does this? Anyone who wants to tell you we don't have a crime problem and that crime is going down, they need to call the families of these two victims and the thousands more across the country who are losing their sons and their daughters and their husbands and their fathers and a generation of children. Something's wrong, and our country is in critical condition as it relates to crime. So please uh, subscribe to us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter, our handle is at CriticalCon187. That's at CriticalCon187. Or email us at criticalconditionshow at gmail.com. And we will be back next week with Chief Ferries, and we look forward to you joining our program. Thank you. Critical Condition, America at a Crossroads, is an off-script production.